Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of Lights, Camera, Ulysses, the premier podcast on all things droids and cinema. This is your host, Robert Kraut, and I'm recording today from Nighttown. Just a quick shout out to the sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Georgina Johnson's Escort Services. Kind of regularly tested, but guaranteed fun that Johnson Escorts are a must-have for your next bachelor party. Welcome to chapter 15 of Ulysses, easily my favorite chapter of the novel and the most cinematic thus far. So what is there to talk about? It's written as a play, so I could talk about how Joyce uses this format to fearlessly move his characters around on the page, which is something that screen artists should aspire towards if they want their projects greenlit. Or maybe I could talk about the symbiotic relationship between fantasy and cinema, as there's a man who literally unscrews his head from his shoulders in this chapter. But being the forward thinker I am, I will build off of the theme of the last episode, and use Cersei to talk about the aesthetic concept of maximalism. So broadly defined, maximalism is the idea that more is better when it comes to art. This could refer to a super ornate painting, a highly technical piece of music, or in this case, the length and breadth of a given piece of prose. To begin, Cersei takes up about a seventh of the page count in Ulysses. In other words, it's massive, but its length isn't its only maximalist quality, as it's also emotionally maximalist, totally ranging from the humorous to the perverse and all the way to the genuinely poignant. I mean, just look at the last section of this chapter, arguably one of the saddest and most affecting scenes in the novel. And not long before this, there's a section where Bloom is sexually dominated by a prostitute with a mustache. You get my point. Obviously, I can't cover the entire chapter, so I'm going to focus in on one particular section. And before I go any further, it's worth noting that most of the chapter takes place in the character's minds, so scenes like this aren't real in the context of the novel, but they're instead used to convey the subconscious thoughts and desires of the characters. So in this fantasy section, Bloom is heralded as a messiah and then persecuted as a martyr. And setting it up, Joyce details a procession for the messianic figure of Bloom, spending page after page discussing the various people at the procession. Characters we've already encountered, as well as members of clergy and members of the royalty. And he also goes into great detail about the horse that Bloom rides, its long flowing crimson tail and golden head stall, as well as tons of other ornate details that establish the setting using very cinematic language. One can think about this section as the equivalent of a David Lean picture, grand and meant to encompass the largeness of the setting. Now we've seen Joyce utilize this maximalism before in chapters like Cyclops, but here it takes on a whole new context as it emphasizes the grandiosity of the messianic Bloom's high social standing. This carries over to the section's speech as Bloom says things like, My beloved subjects, a new era is about to dawn, and other such definitive, very overwrought statements. This is also met by equally maximalistic action with dramatic and apocalyptic events occurring, including Bloom giving birth to children. Yes, that actually happens. And all of that's to say that maximalism is a perfect tool for emphasizing Bloom's overinflated self-importance. Now in today's cinema, it has become a virtue to strive towards realism, and there are some perks to this approach. However, filmmakers like Peter Greenaway, and to a lesser extent Wes Anderson, understand the potential impact of maximalism. After all, cinema and literature are ultimately forms of escapism, so by enshrining the medium with a maximalist aesthetic, one can facilitate escapism and give their audience a memorable experience. So what does maximalism look like in filmmaking? Well, it means movies that gravitate towards spectacle. You know, expensive sets and a large cast. It also means exaggerated dialogue and action, in an almost self-aware, very movie-ish way. But above all, it means leaning into the dream of movies, fully embracing the reality-breaking capabilities of the medium. This doesn't mean that they require actual fantasy, you know, aliens or ghouls, but it does mean that they should lean into escapism. 
And just to bring this high concept down to earth, I was talking to my writing partner, and we were working on the script that deals with espionage. Throughout the process, we've been trying to make it unique and ground the project in some form of reality. But eventually, we both looked at each other and said, you know, you need more explosions in this, more lavish parties, more supervillains on their yachts. And, as has often been the case with Joyce, I look at his work as a go-ahead to do this. Because if a novel that is praised for being a quote-unquote realistic depiction of life can include a scene with a talking bar of soap, there's no reason that people can't throw every creative instinct they have at a work of art. Because this will ultimately help make it unique and memorable. Plus, it's really fun. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll be back by the time Bloom stops fantasizing about sadomasochism.